Hello and welcome. This is Artist Unknown, a series of talks exploring objects and works of art from across the University of Cambridge collections, where the maker, as sometimes read on a label, is Artist Unknown. Why are they unknown? Is it important that we know? And how much can an object tell us about the person who made it? In this episode, we hear from the Museum of Zoology's Jack Ashby. Jack's going to give us the inside story, quite literally, of a taxidermy putty-nosed monkey. I'm Jack Ashby. I'm the manager of the University Museum of Zoology in Cambridge. So my job's really broad. It works across what we do with our collections, what we do with our visitors, and kind of everything in between. And when we were asked for a, an object for Artists Unknown, um, I came up with a, a taxidermy putty-nosed monkey. So it's a, a small forest monkey from West Africa that is taxidermy mounted into a kind of crouching pose. It's, it's grooming itself and kind of looking very introspectively, but, but picking away at fake nits or fake mites in its fur. Um, and one of the questions we were asked is, is why is the artist unknown? But that's not where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with, uh, is this an artwork? So something that um, I think I felt I had to kind of convince the art curators at Kettle's Yard about is, are natural history or can natural history specimens be artworks? Uh, uh, and that really starts with, what is a natural history specimen? So um, the job of a natural history specimen is really, well, a specimen means an example. So it's a representative of its kind. So this specifically is a representative of all putty-nosed monkeys. Um, so we, we're asking our specimens to work quite hard when they're on display because they are, they're not just, this is a single thing. It, they are, as I say, representing everything that, we, um, that, the, that their species has ever been. And often they have to work harder than that. Often they have to represent maybe all of monkey kind or all of African mammals or all mammals, uh, but really just a slice of uh, diversity of life on Earth. So in doing that, their kind of individuality is really dissolved away. So what the object individually is stops being important, but what it represents is what, was what we're doing with it in a natural history museum. Um, so whatever the specimens are, whether they're taxidermy-mounted skeletons or uh, preserved in jars, they, the individual animal is really important. And so that is unusual when you compare it to other artworks uh, where you know, the painting is of something or the sculpture is a specific thing. And there might be a few versions of it, but the, kind of the individual story of the kind is, is what's important. And so is this an artwork? Well, the, <laughs> the first, the first dis uh, question, I guess, is to just make a distinction between art and craft. Uh, and so it's quite easy to describe taxidermy as a craft because a huge amount of, of, kind of manual skill has gone into it. So I'm just going to describe how taxidermy is made to start with, and that hopefully will give us a sense of, of how it's crafted and then whether we can work out whether it's art or not. <coughs> and, you know, a lot of museum visitors, it seems, uh, might think that taxidermy specimens are just dead animals that have died and then we've dried them somehow or they've just been placed on a shelf as is and you might be surprised at, at how common that conception is um but really there are there's a huge amount of, of artistry i would say but certainly craft and skill that goes into it and the first thing that has to happen uh, is to skin the animal um so that is quite a delicate process in itself because if you're 
skinning something for display for a taxidermy mount rather than kind of just a loose skin or a kind of loosely shaped stuffed uh, skin in a, for a research that the taxidermy for display is really really difficult because you have to conceal where you've cut it and that that limits where you can unpeel the animal from uh, which is which is difficult in itself um, but once you've got the skin loose and once you've preserved it through tanning or salt drying or something like that uh, you have to reform it into uh, the lifelike shape of the animal and if you look at kind of history historical taxidermy or taxidermy that's come from overseas in the long distant past you can get a real sense of whether or not the taxidermist had ever actually seen the animal that they were mounting because you can if you were lucky as a kind of if on these voyages of discovery when someone found a, a specimen they wanted to send back to, to Europe from some distant land if you were very lucky they would draw it before they uh, skinned it and then send you the drawing back and obviously then you're kind of uh, stuck with how good the artistry was in the first place but um, if you if you weren't so lucky they might have um, described what the animal looked like and maybe given you some measurements but kind of a written loose written description would be helpful uh, for working out how to reshape that loose skin into the form of an animal or very often you wouldn't get any of those things you just get the skin and have to kind of work out what uh, what it looks like um, based on your on the taxidermist's understanding of anatomy and, and taxidermists were excellent anatomists but I'm sure We've all been to naturalist museums or, you know, hipster cafes and seen really, really bad taxidermy. In fact, uh, hashtag crap taxidermy is an excellent way to spend uh, a few minutes on Twitter. Of really, really terrible things. And that's, I mean, sometimes that's because people aren't very good at taxidermy, but sometimes it's because they didn't have the reference material. Um, but this putty-nosed monkey is, I would say, the best piece of taxidermy we have in the University Museum of Zoology. But I'll just that second, how do, you, how do you make it was my question. And that's, uh, you have to recreate the insides of the animal somehow to then shape the skin over them. So taxidermy is Greek for uh, pulling the skin or arranging the skin. So it's not stuffed, and taxidermists get very upset if you describe an animal as stuffed. Um, but what they'll do is, have to, is either you can buy mannequins of animals for the kind of standard game deer and trophy heads. Uh, not a lot of museums use those um, but you can also well more uh, you know a really really skilled taxidermy cat taxidermist today will do the skinning themselves and once they've done it will perfectly shape every packet of muscle every joint every bone so you first need to make your skeletal frame a, a scaffold to hold uh, the, sh the shape on and that could be uh, it could be a wooden wooden rods it could be uh, metal and wire it could be big iron or steel frames uh, um, and then you have to create the muscle package and you have to do this very, very accurately. And a lot of taxidermists will use uh, fabric, which they wrap uh, round and round and round the frames until they've formed the perfect shape of each part of its anatomy. And then you have to choose a pose. And then, uh, you know, that, that, can, that should go beyond just the kind of animal standing on four legs uh, and to see what do you actually want to do? What behavior do you want to uh, exhibit? And then you have to shape that skin around that form. And so once you've shamed, shaped the skin around the form, uh, you, have to, you have to stitch it up in a really, really subtle way. And then for a lot of animals, especially ones that have uh, naked patches on their skin, you might have to paint it or paint you know, birds' legs and reptile legs often need painting. Uh, and monkeys particularly have naked faces and naked skin is really hard to taxidermy because there's no 
fur to hide behind. Uh, so this one's painted. Monkey, uh, Putty nose monkeys have blue and pink faces with a white, uh, big, really, really prominent white nose. So this has been done really well. I missed out talking about the eyes, of course. Taxidermy has uh, glass eyes or plastic eyes, and they you can actually order them by mail order now. It was like each species has might have its own uh, specific eye coloration and eye size, but obviously for more obscure animals, you have to paint your own. Um, and those are really the kind of really, really important parts of taxidermy, how accurate are those eyes? Um, because obviously that's the thing that makes it uh, look alive. And that's what taxidermy is really trying to do. It's trying to deceive the visitor into thinking the animal's still alive. You all know it isn't, um, but you're willing to forget the fact that uh, it's dead. Um, and obviously eyes are pretty critical to that. So what I've just described is, you know, handiwork. It's very, very dis difficult, but it, it could be described as craft. So the distinction that I'm making between art and craft is that the level of agency that someone has had. What decisions have the artist made, has the taxidermist made in creating their mount? And uh, arguably some taxidermists are not artists, uh, but I think some of them are. And it's when you make that decision of how is the animal posed, what is it doing? It's not just sitting there on the shelf, you know, on four legs, if you think of a really standard kind of deer or antelope mount. A lot of these things are doing, a lot of these animals are kind of conveying a behavior. And actually taxidermy can be quite political uh, in a really subconscious way. If you think of the, kind of the classic snarling fox or snarling tiger that you see in so many Victorian Museum specimens, you think, what is that animal, do I think, what is that animal doing in that show? Why has the taxidermist chosen that pose? And with things like foxes, uh, you know, they can't actually, they can't produce that shape with their face. Uh, so it's quite an interesting inaccuracy that someone's deliberately done. In the University Museum of Zoology, we have a, a fox that's holding a uh, pheasant in its mouth. And you might think, oh, that's just a nice uh, specimen. But the, the message there, sub subconscious message is foxes are bad. They will come and take your game. Uh, and it's a way of kind of legitimizing uh, hunting and persecution of foxes. Same with the tiger. This is a dangerous animal that I, the great taxidermist, the great hunter and, and taxidermist has overcome. And um, so we think about what are these poses doing? And in this monkey, in Artist Unknown, we've got a really, can I say, introspective. He's, he's, it looks very, very human. It's uh, kind of couched over. It's not looking at the camera, if you like, uh, looking at the viewer. There's tiny, tiny bits of, of vegetation around it. They're not very important, but it's putting in a habitat. Um, but it really looks like it's a living animal. Uh, there a lot of decisions have gone into doing that. And I, th I think the level of skill, it, it, you cannot tell this is a dead animal. Um, the level of skill makes it artistic. It's really exquisite. And um, particularly on that kind of human side of things, it, it could be a human pose uh, doing this. And obviously primates um, are the family to which, the order to which uh, humans belong. So we are closely related to monkeys. And I think this specimen does that. Um, uh, and really the, the viewers are supposed to see it as a real specimen. Um, and obviously it is real. It's made of real monkey. Uh, it's made out of monkey but it isn't all monkey that's got that woodwork and whatever fabric has been used to, or material has been used to uh, act as the, as the padding. Um, and as I say, you're not supposed to even contemplate that it's dead, uh, and you're not supposed to think of it as a person-made object. Uh, however, it has been made. It's been made out of monkey, but it's been made by a person. And I like to think about the 
difference between the kinds of specimens we get in museums. So a monkey in a museum could exist as a taxidermy specimen like this one, or it could exist as a skeleton, uh, or it could exist as a wet specimen uh, preserved in fluid. And of all of those, all of those things involve human interaction that you can't, you know, they're not just dead animals, even, even mounted skeletons. Someone has made a decision about what shape to mount it in, what order to put the bones. And obviously there was a right and a wrong order, but you could think of the number of ways you could mount a human skeleton is the same number of ways that a human could, or in fact, more ways that you could mount a dead skeleton that, than a human skeleton, a living human could, could actually pose in. So a huge amount of decisions are being made in there. And I think that's what uh, makes natural history specimens artistic, but really only when they're good. And, um, and you know, a lot of taxidermy, a lot of artists today uh, use taxidermy in their art. So, you know, Tessa Farmer, Polly Morgan, Mark Dion, Damien Hurst all use natural history specimens in their artwork. And that is, you know, that's obviously art because there's an artist who identifies themselves as an artist. But when we take uh, so when we take our natural history specimens out of the context of a natural history museum, uh, we, we, it is easy to stop thinking um, of specimens. It's only when we surround them with you know, two million other specimens that the, kind of the artistry is, is taken away. Um, but I do think that, well, at least in those, in those places where extreme skill and agency has been exhibited, that each specimen is an artist in its own, own right. And I think putting this monkey into Ketter's Yard for artists and it will kind of change that context. I just hope that people won't see it as just a dead monkey, but, uh, but as a piece of art. So that question, why is the artist unknown? It's because we, we as a natural history museum didn't really care who made it because that wasn't its job. Its job was to represent all of monkey kind. You know, it's a display specimen. It's not a research specimen. It's been deliberately mounted. If you had wanted a research specimen, you wouldn't go to that effort. And except for a handful of small handful of famous uh, taxidermists through history and famous dealers, it's very un unusual for the, uh, or it's relatively unusual for the artist to have been the taxidermist to have been uh, recorded in part of that history. We might collect, we might record who collected the specimen, um, and maybe who donated it to the museum, so who took it from the wild and who brought it into the museum, and but not the steps in between those things. Uh, and that's, that's why we, we have never recorded the artist for this, this specimen at least. Um, and so that's why I think we should consider it a piece of art, but it's not surprising that the artist is unknown. Thanks, Jack. And whoever knew a fox couldn't snarl? This series of talks is born from a Kettles Yard exhibition in collaboration with the University of Cambridge Museums, titled Artist Unknown. It brings together works of art from across the university's collections from July to September 2019. If you're listening during that time period and a trip is possible, make sure to visit. Thanks for listening. <laughs>